From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Nuggets fans across Colorado are descending upon downtown Denver right now to cheer on the home team's historic win with a rally and parade of epic proportion. We'll check in at the big celebrations about to get underway for the 2023 NBA champs. Then, June is a month focused on celebrating the LGBTQ plus community. But some Black Coloradans say they often feel their culture and unique challenges are overlooked. A connection with Black Pride Colorado specifically has reminded me that I can show up as my full self and expect for people to see me and respect me as my full self. We'll speak with members of Black Pride Colorado about how they're creating community, safe spaces and events centered around the needs of Black members of the LGBTQ community. can one simple phone call benefit hundreds and thousands of people? When it's you calling to donate your car to CPR, call 866-415-0005 and donate your car today. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Colorado is celebrating in downtown Denver this morning the parade and rally to honor the first-time NBA champion Denver Nuggets begins in the next hour. It's a moment that transcends sports, a celebration of teamwork, perseverance, community, and connection. Fans started lining up in the wee hours this morning. Melissa O'Leary Chavez was claiming her spot along the Orange Barricades with Zario Gein. We got here about 7. Been waiting for this for a long time, so it's pretty crazy that it's real. We're so. both Colorado natives. Yeah, I have the actually Denver Nuggets logo with the Colorado skyline on my shoulder as a tattoo. I got that the first time we went to the playoffs with Jamal and Nicola. Actually, the first day I got it that afternoon and that that evening went to the game with it freshly tattooed. I've been a season ticket holder since 2016. I started out in 2016, the first, like, going to games with my sons when they were 8 and 12. We would go to random games, and one game we went to was Kobe's last game to see, you know, my sons wanted to see him play. The next day, the rep from the Nuggets said, calls and says, hey, we've seen you come to quite a few games. Do you want season tickets? And I said, yeah. And as I, you know, progressed in my accounting degree, I made sure that I was going to push my career to make sure I could afford to continue. The crowds have grown over the past few years. It wasn't a sold-out game way back then, but now they've got full support of the city. I actually own every single one of Jamal's jerseys. <laughs> every and everything. every time we get a new jersey, I've got every single one. And I've got all of Nicola's. She has Canadian jerseys from Jamal, I'm pretty sure, too. <laughs> I have not gone that far. I'm looking for, I'm going to get his Kentucky yeah. jerseys that I want. I honestly, this whole season, I've only missed one game. And the, and the only reason why I missed that game is because it was a day my dad actually passed away that day and we had to miss yeah. the game. My dad loved the Nuggets just as much as we did. You know, he would have been the first person to call me after every single win, every single loss he knows the emotions that I get when it comes to the team. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to see that, like, you know, he didn't make it to see this moment, but yeah. And I actually just got a tattoo last night with my dad's fingerprint, and it's a butterfly. 
and I actually made the butterfly the Nuggets colors. And me and my sons were at the finals game and we just won. The atmosphere was amazing. The crowd, the excitement. You know, I won't lie, I cried. <laughs> In happiness to see the team actually do it. I was at the game recording the trophy ceremony and you could hear me in the video saying, Dad, we did it. In the video. It was just momento, just like to me, it just came out without even thinking about it. Wow. It seems that every fan at the parade this morning has a story like that about the power of sports. For a take on what's happening right now, let's join CPR's John Daly, who's along the parade route. Hi, John. Hey, Chandra. How you doing? Awesome. So the parade starts at 10 this morning. A rally will follow at Civic Center Park and a pre-rally just got underway. So where are you right now and what's it like? So I'm at the corner of Broadway and 17th, which is, if you know downtown, it's right when where the turn in the road comes. And uh, this is where the parade route will go. The team will come this way, and then they'll kind of make a slight right turn uh, from 17th onto Broadway, and then they'll go to uh, Civic Center Park uh, where the, the big rally is. So what it looks like is just a gazillion people down here, all kinds <laughs> of folks in Nuggets jerseys, uh, Nuggets flags, Nuggets hats. They're passing uh, out those uh, unrealistically large uh, heads, those faces on the wooden sticks with uh, Jokic and Murray and <laughs> Bruce Brown and uh, uh, people wearing those gold chains. I mean, they're into it. And people wow. are just starting to flood into downtown now. Well, that sounds fun. So some fans have been gathering since four this morning. And now this is the Nuggets' first ever NBA championship. 47 years in the making. You've also been talking with fans, also known as Nuggets Nation. What are you hearing about this kind of surreal moment? Oh, you know, fans are really excited. Uh, they've been waiting for this for a long time. In fact, I've got a fan with me right now and his family. This is David Glaucheski. He's from Pine, uh, Colorado, up in the mountains. Uh, David, tell me what this uh, And he's here with his daughter, Courtney, and grandson, Jack. And he's got a camera. They're uh, waiting to take some pictures. What does this moment mean to you, David? Uh, it's just real exciting. Uh, we went to game one. And uh, first uh, NBA finals ever in Denver. So it was really exciting. And you were telling me that you were here for the Avs parade last year. And I believe the Broncos when they won in 2015. Is that right? Right. The same spot because they come right at you and then they turn to the right. So it's a real good spot for pictures. And do you think this means a lot to the community? What what does it mean to the community to, to have a, a champion and, and to be a championship city? I just think it's real good for the economy. I mean, people are just out and about spending money. So it's great. And we say we waited 40 some years for this. Yeah, waited a long time. Uh, and it's pretty exciting for his family, too. Jack, do you want to tell me how excited you are? There's Jack. He's sick. You excited mm. about this? Okay, there we go. I think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> People are fired up down here, Sandra, and, and they're definitely starting to turn out. Uh, you've got folks uh, selling T-shirts as well. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone's just waiting for the, uh, the parade to start and for the uh, uh, fire trucks to come by with the, the players on them. It's, it's happening soon, I think. Well, it sounds really exciting. So I have to ask, John, what is your favorite Nuggets memory? And, of course, I'm not including the team's big championship win. 
You know, uh, I grew up in Denver, so I remember going to Nuggets games back when they were over in uh, – uh, they played uh, basketball in McNichols Arena. This Whoa. would be the, the David Thompson, Dan Issel uh, era. Doug Moe, for people who remember the old coach, uh, Alex English, Calvin Matt, some of the great players from back then. Uh, you know, it was uh, a very good team then, but they didn't win a championship. And so uh, – Folks like me, uh, people who grew up here, have been waiting a long time to celebrate uh, for this team. Well, sounds like a full circle moment for you as well. So, John, thank you. You bet. Yeah, thank you. Go Nuggets. (laughs) Go Nuggets, yes. CPR's John Daly reporting as Nuggets fans gather in downtown Denver for a championship parade and rally that gets underway at 10 this morning. If Nuggets fans haven't already experienced every single emotion they possibly could, CPR's Vic Bella reflects on how Mile High Basketball finally got its due. Running the break, we're as fast as the wind, we forced the play It's been 47 win. years since this amazing little song hit the airwaves in Denver. It was 1976, the year the Denver Nuggets played for a championship in the old American Basketball Association. It was the only time the team played for a championship until this year. Denver makes history. The Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. After sweeping the LA Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, the Nuggets were just four wins away from their first ever championship. The NBA Finals started at Ball Arena June 1st. Awesome. Enjoy the game. Thank you. At Game 1, fans were ready to rock. Colorado native? Colorado native. Where'd you grow up? In North Denver. Okay. What's up, Northside? <laughs> That's a very happy Audrey Carrillo. Very, very exciting. It's so awesome to be here. Finally, the NBA Finals, the Nuggets finally did it after, what, 50 years or something? It's been a long time. We've been waiting for it forever. Celebrities were on hand as well, including comedian Ken Jeong, who had a lot of good things to say about Nikola Jokic. You know, everyone knew he was the best player in the league, his MVP twice, but now it's just great that he's getting his spotlight and the spotlight that he deserves. Now the world will see what kind of basketball fans like me have known for years, that he's just the best right now. This incredible scene was a really big deal for an organization that had never won anything before. It's weird because the Nuggets have always been such a afterthought in Denver. It's always been the Broncos and then the Avs, you know, when they're good. That's Harrison Wind, who covers the Nuggets for DNVR Sports. But I feel like this could be a kind of reset on the Denver sports hierarchy if the Nuggets do win a championship this season. Good evening and welcome to Denver and ABC's coverage of Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Gordon again aggressively goes right into the paint, scores again. Aaron Gordon's got four field goals already. Nice entry pass. And Murray able to knock it in. Gordon sees an opening. Eurostep left-handed. Aaron Gordon. Murray fakes. Fires three-pointer straight on. Got it. Murray's hot early. The first finals game in franchise history is a rousing success. 
After game one, longtime Nuggets fan Karen Kenny of Littleton was feeling pretty good. I already bet on the Nuggets earlier in the playoffs. When they win, I have to go back up to Blackhawk to get my winnings on my ticket. But Nuggets fans weren't cashing in any winning tickets after game two. Murray, step back, three-pointer, long goal, fight for the rebound, Martin, and it's over. The Miami Heat have tied the NBA Finals. Fans were really dejected. And following the loss, Coach Michael Malone called out his team for lacking effort. For a minute, there was doubt in Denver. But boy, did the Nuggets bounce back when the series moved to Miami. And the bucket is good. 32 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists. A masterpiece from Nikola Jokic. Murray high off the glass. A little circle What shot. a performance from Brown here in the biggest game of his life. Jokic was right there. Here comes Gordon. Gordon to Caldwell Pope. Caldwell Pope, three-pointer. Bang! Contavious Caldwell Pope nails the three, and it's a 14-point A spectacular performance on the road here in Game 4. After winning two games in Miami, the Nuggets only needed one more win, one more win, one more win. And the Rockets red the bumpers singing Colorado's own Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats sang the national anthem at Game 5. Just feel blessed to be a part of it, you know, and to represent Colorado and to be here and also be a part of our community. It's important to us. So. What's your prediction tonight? Oh, we're going to, this is going to be the last game of the season. Yeah. I like the confidence. Yeah, Vic. And the home of the green. Nuggets fan Antonio Brown also felt pretty good about the team's chances. Oh, without question. What other choices do they have? This is the first final in 47 years in the history of the Nuggets. They got to pull it off. They got to. You know what I mean? It's inevitable. And to be honest, I was feeling confident too. The morning of game five, I was really emotional. I've been a Nuggets fan my entire life. And before every game, I hang a Nuggets flag outside my house. And as soon as I hung it, I walk in and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is playing on my Pandora station. I can't think of a better sign for today and I'm getting totally choked up over this. Today's the day. Let's win a championship today. Go Nuggets. Porter at three, punch it in. Bruce Brown, back to Jokic. Spins against Adebayo, tough shot pulling away, still knocks it down. Murray, jumper, puts it in. Timeout Miami, Nuggets by five. Finds Struce back to Larry, there it is, three-pointer. Won't go, rebound, call, ball, pull. They're not going to foul. The Heat will let it play out. It's over. At last, the long wait is over. After 47 years, the Denver Nuggets can finally call themselves NBA champions. Fans inside the arena were going absolutely nuts. Chad Thomas is a longtime Nuggets fan who made the trip from Seattle. Like, this is a long time coming. You know what? I'm just glad to be in the building to be able to celebrate. This is a wonderful thing, man. This is a beautiful experience, man. I love it. 
Sam Dudley of Denver summed it up perfectly. It is, it is magic. This is magical. And I've never seen anything like it. Stevie Wonder sang about feeling good for once in his life after being hurt so many times before. And after 47 years of sorrow, the NBA season ends on a high for Nuggets fans, for once in team history. I'm Vic Vela, CPR News. Go Nuggets! Again, the parade kicks off at 10 this morning at Union Station in downtown Denver. It'll proceed down 17th Street to Broadway and end at Civic Center Park with a big rally. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Climate change is a global issue with undeniable local impact. Sign up for CPR News Climate Weekly for a digest of fact-based reporting about the environment in and affecting Colorado. Sign up at CPR.org slash Climate Weekly. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. June is Pride Month, a month focused on celebrating the accomplishments of the LGBTQ community. It's also a time to acknowledge the challenges they continue to face, and those challenges can often be complicated for members of the Black LGBT plus community. Here to talk about that today is Tara J., the executive director of Youth Scene and co-founder of Black Pride Colorado, and Lex Dunbar is a Black LGBTQ plus advocate based here in Colorado. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thanks. There are quite a few Black Pride Colorado events happening this month, and we're going to talk about that shortly. But first, Black Pride. That term, of course, has lots of different meanings. But in the context of June Pride Month, what does that mean to you, Tara? I think here in Colorado, more specifically Denver, when we talk about Maine Pride, it's there's one focus. There's one demographic, and it really focuses on white queer people and oftentimes there's not space for us so in 2021 I literally allow myself to complain about things once or twice and felt that black pride really needed to have a space um, and connected with a bunch of folks in the community and we started curating spaces for black pride specifically what can you add to that Lex for me black pride is public reminder that Black LGBTQ people have always existed and we should be celebrated. We should celebrate ourselves and see ourselves in our fullness, take up space, especially in a place like Denver, where, like Tara said, it can be very um, focused, typically in my experience, on white cis males who are gay. And so it's a celebration. It's an acknowledgement. It's an honor um, for all the LGBT Black folks who have come before us who've been alongside of us, those who've been in closets, out of closets, pushed out of closets, 
so it's a way for us to honor them and 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 honor ourselves. And a lot of Black queer people feel that they are not only navigating racism in the heteronormative world, but also in the LGBTQ plus community as well. And so I've heard that a lot of people in your community feel that they are a double minority. Well, I think it's a conversation that we often have. How can we even acknowledge our queerness if our blackness comes first? Mm -hmm. And when we are trying to show up, first and foremost, our blackness comes first. So layered with any sexual identity, any sexual orientation, most times we can't even get to that because the racism is so loud that we can't even show up authentically with our other identities. Now, Lex, you are a black, queer, non-binary person and an LGBTQ plus advocate here in Colorado. What has this experience been like for you? It's being a part of Black Pride has been life-saving because, as Tara said, when you show up to LGBTQ spaces, they're often white. And so I would have to come in as Black first. But then on the flip side of that, showing up into Black cisgender heterosexual spaces, the question always becomes, well, then where does my queer identity come into this? And so it's difficult on both sides. And I think a connection with Black Pride Colorado specifically has reminded me that in any of these spaces, I can show up as my full self and expect for people to see me and respect me as my full self. Tara, how would you say your experience has evolved over the years being here in Colorado? I don't even know where to begin with that. (laughs) So when I got here in 2017, um, as much as it's, what, five, six years, it feels like decades. What Denver was in 2017 is not what it is now. And specifically within the queer community and the white supremacist culture that bleeds through very clearly within our community is devastating. It's hard in the mental health realm of things. And I often question why I keep doing the work that I am doing, because it is difficult hearing the folks that I work with on a daily basis that are suicidal, Mm. that don't see hope, don't feel hope. Because oftentimes, even within our community, we can't even come together. And when I say our community, I'm specifically talking about the queer community, first and foremost. We can get into a whole conversation around our Black community and even the spaces around Juneteenth and what that means. But our our community is struggling. We continue to struggle on a daily basis. Um, Lack of access to things that we think, well, we should have that right to have that, that access to medical, mental health, housing, jobs, just as anyone else does. And those privileges aren't often afforded to us. So, yeah, those are the things that I I think about. And being in 2023, I look back to 2017, and it was easier. It was Mm. before George Floyd, before 2020, 2017 was easier. And now we can't unsee a lot of the stuff. So it's almost like when we're having these conversations, you have to go through the list. These are all the things that we are struggling with. And there's no, like, there's no prioritization with it. There's nothing that goes above the other. Why do you think it was easier before 2017? 
it was easier because or is it or is it that you felt it was easier before 2020 oh it was easier before 2020 when there's acknowledgement of the systemic issues that are happening you can't unlook it when there is a rupture that continues to be bigger and bigger you can't you can't unsee it so it's like we can sit here all day long and be like, there's an issue here and there's an issue here and there's an issue here. And it's a distraction because there's still the undermining that is happening. There's still the lack of access. And it's still, sure, we can talk about racism in our community and it's going to continue because that was 2020 and now we're in 2023. And in 2023, we're not actually dealing with what was happening in 2020. And we're going to talk about allies when we actually need accomplices. And it's, it's a whole thing. It's something that it makes it it makes it more difficult. It makes advocacy work harder. It makes the work that we're doing at Black Pride and Youth Scene when we're specifically looking around mental health and wellness. It is difficult because it's the it's the one bridge that access and having an understanding of what affirming access looks like. And when we can have that piece then maybe we can start looking at all of the other things that are still on the list. Lex, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think a part of it that also makes it difficult is visibility has both positive and negative aspects that come along with it, right? And so the positive aspect of seeing the anti-Blackness and the homophobia and the transphobia that we're dealing with is that it's visible and we can have more conversations. But the negative aspect of that is when things become more visible, it's easier for those in power, in my opinion, it's easier for those in power to overlook it in a different way, in a way that sort of makes allies become the champions and the heroes over providing actual access to people. My guests are Lex Dunbar, a Black LGBTQ plus advocate in Denver, and Tara J, the executive director of Youth Scene and co-founder of Black Pride Colorado. After the break, our guests talk about the challenges that persist for Black transgender people and fill us in on the events Black Pride Colorado is hosting this month to build community. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Some Black LGBTQ plus people say they often feel left out of queer community culture, and that also includes June Pride events. So they've created their own. Oh my God, Black Pride! It's here, it's happening, and it's going to be incredible. We're making space. We're being seen. Black Pride, specifically for Denver, means a bridge. My queer black people showing ownership. There is no discrimination against any sexes or genders. This is about loving each other, seeing each other, hearing each other. This voice is now heard and it's not going anywhere. You have a place to be here. It isn't just for one person or one race. This is for you too. 
Tara J is the executive director of Youth Scene and co-founder of Black Pride Colorado. And Lex Dunbar is a black LGBTQ plus advocate based here in Colorado. Our guests shared their feelings before the break about the racism, they say, persists within the queer community. What can you tell us about the challenges that persist for transgender black people here in Colorado and in general? To be honest, I hate this question. I don't like it because half the time we're not even identified in any data, which is like when you're saying, yeah, so we're looking at the numbers and they're horrific. Yes. And oftentimes it goes erased. We're not seen. We don't have names. We don't have representation, which makes it even more difficult. To your point, uh, I did read a report from the Human Rights Campaign that said at least 32 transgender and gender nonconforming people were killed in the U.S. in 2022. And they said that transgender people of color account for 81 percent of known victims. And this was in 2022. 59 percent were black and trans women were disproportionately represented as they have been in the years past. And as you pointed out, they said these numbers are probably well below the actual number because many of these crimes are not reported. Some are misidentified, misgendered. And many I think they said the the victims were overwhelmingly black, under 35 and killed with a firearm. Mm hmm. How does that make you feel to hear that? I I kind of see you tearing up over there. <laughs> there's just, there's like no words, right? Because folks are just trying to live um, and live in their fullness and their truth. And hearing that as a black trans non-binary person, um, it's terrifying. And I think about specifically black trans mass folks who are so often ignored in a way that people are just like, what do you mean you're a trans masculine person or a trans man? Like it doesn't compute in their mind. Um, and so there's this dismissal there. Um, and when folks are dismissed and ignored, right, it's easy to sort of pass them by or to dismiss or, or to throw them away. I think about the folks I know who are consistently struggling with suicidal ideation, right? Because of this dismissal, because just the cry, like, will anybody actually see me, right? As a, full person who's deserving and honoring of love and care and kindness, basic human kindness. It's heartbreaking. It's terrifying. Um, I think about the ways that my anxiety is often heightened when I'm out in spaces or what are the places that I will and will not go to even to have a celebration because I don't want to run into an issue. So then what does that mean for me? And then how am I able to live my life in freedom, right, if I have to always consistently look over my back, not just because I'm Black, but because I'm a Black trans mass person, right? And so should I have an encounter with a cis man, my little self ain't going to do much. <laughs> like At the end of the day, I got a big mouth, but I'm little. So. Not a bark. <laughs> no bite, you know, huh? like, I'm just little. I'm a chihuahua. <laughs> so... Um, and so it's terrifying and it's heartbreaking and it's completely unnecessary, right? Well, you both have mentioned challenges with the LGBTQ plus community with housing, mental health, employment, health. What work is being done to support this community? Let me go first. Please. Yeah, go for it. Go for it, Lex. <laughs> because I'm going to talk about it from a personal standpoint. Um, before I got involved with Black Pride Colorado, I wasn't out. 
oh man, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Here for um, it. I wasn't out. I was struggling in my identity as a queer person, as a queer person of faith. And I remember my connection and the community that I found in the Black Pride Colorado team, and specifically with Tara and the conversations that we've had and the freedom to explore my identity. In the midst of Black folks who have been on this journey and have been out for a very long time in a very, very white space. And so... The events are great, and they are so much fun. But the community, the camaraderie, the conversations, the times where we are laughing and joking or crying together, it was a place where I felt seen. It was a place where I realized I get to be safe around these people who see me, and whatever I land on when it comes to my identity, I'll be seen, I'll be accepted, I'll be loved. And that has been true since I met these folks in 2021. From a personal standpoint, I will say, like, Black Pride Colorado and my relationship with Yusin has been life-saving to me. And I, and I don't say that lightly at all. And I see the other young Black trans folks coming out and coming to our events and having a great time. And for somebody just to say, I see you. I want to be in community with you. That's been great. That's what, what I've needed. So I'm grateful. Well, Lex, you talk about that. Oh, we have tears. I need to get some tissue in the studio today. But no, it's a very emotional. And I can see the connection between you two and the feeling of support and community. Like it's just here in front of me. I think you touched on this, Lex, but I do have to ask. What do you say to people who feel that having a separate Black Pride organization is being divisive? If there was no need for Black people to have their own space, then we wouldn't need it, right? Like, obviously, there is a need here that we are responding to. If you look at all sorts of pride celebrations all across the country, overwhelmingly, they are uplifting white, cis, gay men. And so when I think about Black pride, I'm like, we are realizing that there is a void here and there are Black queer people that should be celebrated and uplifted. And sometimes Black folks just need a space for ourselves so we can breathe. Is that divisive? No. <laughs> it's out of safety, right? It's out of comfort. It's out of camaraderie. It's out of protection. White supremacy is the thing that is divisive. And so I, for anyone who has an issue with it, check the white supremacy. Leave us alone. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. J, I feel like you want to jump in on that. I, no, I think Lex said, <laughs> said it just the way it needed to be said. I completely agree with them in the sense that if there wasn't a need, it wouldn't have come through. It wouldn't have come up. It wouldn't have been created. We would not have had the success yep. that we have. Uh, the biggest thing that comes back every time we have an event is, I didn't know that I needed to be seen in this way. Hmm. And from that we continue to curate those spaces. We continue to have those conversations. We are ensuring that our collaborations within the community provide safety, provide comfort, provide kindness and love and resilience. That resiliency is a part of it. When our community can see hope, can feel hope, then our resiliency is powered. Lex, you were pretty vocal about the experience of being sometimes the only person of color or black person at these events? So 
a lot of queer events that I've been to between the music choices or what is considered fun, um, what is considered engaging. And so while it may be a queer space, it's not. It's just not culturally inclusive. It's not culturally inclusive. Right. And it's and I don't know any of the songs. I don't know any of the people that they are, you know, propping up. And so oftentimes when I enter in that space, I don't necessarily feel queer because I'm black. Right. (laughs) Especially if I'm the only black person in the room. And so. Then you deal with the microaggressions and macro assaults, right, of, you know, folks wanting to change their dialect because a black person has shown up in the room, especially as a black masculine person. You know, they want to be more hood or any. And so it's a whole bunch of nonsense that happens. But I think for me, it's just really out of this, like, where is the culture here? Is, Is there room for any other expression of queerness? That's not just white male queerness. I don't. I don't want to be in those spaces. I don't want to be fetish, fetishized in spaces. And I've experienced a host of those realities in many of white queer spaces. And so I'm just uninterested. Dr. J, how can these two communities come together? So this has been a conversation that has been happening for a couple of years now. And there are specific folks in the community who refuse to come to the table. I don't know how I segue from that. But, <laughs> of course, Pride Month is also about celebration. Celebrating, getting together, having a sense of community. So tell us about some of the events that are still happening this month in June with Black Pride Colorado. Well, our events actually started last week with our gospel brunch that we were super excited, such a great space, and really just bringing church into it, which Lex talked about previously in that intersection of being able to just find that space. We have our conscious consumption. Our community participates in cannabis use. Amen. So it is really... Well, you're in the right place. Yes. <laughs> we are curating the space that while we often use it for medicinal uses, we also want to make sure that there's the education behind it. So we are working with Juana and Starbuds, yep, putting them out there, in the fact that there is a lot of education that goes with that. Again, oftentimes we don't have access to that. So those um, companies are coming in to work with us to make sure that our community knows all the medicinal uses. Friday, we have our gala, which we have been since... 2021 have been working with Botanic Gardens, and it really is an excuse to get dressed up and to be seen and who's who is going to be there. Um, And it's just, it's a good time. It's acknowledging the folks in the community who are doing the work. We have our Asante Award, um, which I am so excited for the person who is getting it this year. Uh, they, They have done a lot of work in the outdoor space. I'm giving a hint, and they'll be coming in and speaking about even more work that they will be doing. And then on Saturday, we have a collaboration with Denver Film, and it will be our block party. It is more family friendly, and it's over at the C Film Center. And then that evening, we have Zara in the Chocolate Factory, which is one of our amazing uh, shows. It's all black cast uh, that is hosted by Zara Misdemeanor, which will be amazing. On Sunday, we have our Queer Cookout, also family-friendly. It's probably one of our bigger events. Last year, we had over 500 families come through. It's just a space Mm. for families to come in, have activities, get to meet uh, other families and have all of the activities. Lex did an amazing 
amazing job working with the youth last year. There was a balloon, a water balloon fight that happened. Yes. Yep. Just uh, me and a bunch of kids throwing <laughs> water balloons at me. <laughs> so we're excited about that. And then we will be having our celebration again with Denver Film and showing Black Panther over at Red Rocks. So we're pretty excited about it. Wakanda forever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also having the Black Fantasy Ball in September. Yes. So in September, we are having Black Fantasy Week. It is an opportunity where we are going to be bringing in folks who are deep in the community. We have um, folks from other Black Prides coming in to have conversations with us. We'll have a surprise guest. I just want to make sure that that last part. Um, a little with tease that contract, there. Yeah, so that <laughs> contract is signed. But having folks who have been in the community for decades and the importance of having Black Pride in different cities, our connection to higher education, our access to religion, but then also ballroom community. So the whole week will be about that education and it will end with a Black Fantasy Ball. Now, I want to hear what happens at the ball. Oof, what happens at the ball? Shenanigans. 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 <laughs> is, it, is it like dress up? I'm I'm staying quiet about it because there is so much that will be kind of um, unveiled revealed, okay. um, as we are coming. But it is it is a space for people to really be seen. So we are super excited. It is our third year. Well, Lex, do you have a favorite Black Pride event? It's going to be the conscious consumption party. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one I'm most excited about. And a part of it is because for me, just there have been so many black folks whose lives have been ruined because of the laws um, around marijuana. And for me, it feels like a sort of just acknowledgement and like we see you and and this stuff is really really messed up right and how can we as a black queer community specifically increase our knowledge around marijuana consumption and the laws around it and begin able to work with all sorts of communities right to make sure that folks are um, having records expunged and are not being you know sought after, you know, by the police and all this other stuff for something that should be completely legal on the federal level. We want to have the parties and we want to celebrate. But as we wrap up, what is going on in terms of advocacy and resources here in Colorado? Not enough. Mm. That's it. Not enough. There's not enough advocacy specifically for the black queer community. We need a lot more and being able to be invited to those those tables to have those conversations because oftentimes when I am invited to different discussions, it is very loud and clear that I'm usually the only black queer non-binary person coming in, which is disheartening. Mm-hmm. That when you're talking about having a larger conversation and making sure that there's representation why don't we have representation? Um, that advocacy needs to be more. Dr. J, you're also the executive director of Youth Scene. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that organization? So I founded Youth Scene in 2017, and it really is mental health and wellness and finding those spaces and having access to affirming care and what that means. Now, this is for a certain age group? Um, Our youngest person that we're working with is seven and our oldest is right around 80s. When we're talking about youth, it's it's across the age spectrum. Well, Tara, Lex, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 
That was Tara J, executive director of Youth Scene and co-founder of Black Pride Colorado, and Lex Dunbar, a black queer non-binary person and LGBTQ plus advocate here in Colorado. They shared with us some of the Black Pride Colorado events taking place during the remainder of June, which of course is Pride Month. They also shared with us some of the issues and challenges they feel are pressing and relevant to the black LGBTQ plus community here in Colorado. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. The Southwest United States has been in a drought for more than 20 years, a big problem for the Colorado River and the people who use it. Parched, the new podcast from CPR News, is about people who rely on the river that shape the West and have ideas to save it. We cannot just allow nature to disappear. Find Parched wherever you get your podcasts. Supported by Alpine Bank. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The Holiday Theater has been a longtime community hub in Denver's Highland neighborhood. Now this historic 400-seat theater is defying the odds of urban redevelopment and gentrification. CPR's Eaton Lane has the story. Carmen Victoria Beale's parents owned the Holiday Theater on West 32nd Avenue from 1954 to 1979. She even worked there as a kid. It was fun. When I was real little, um, there was always a cartoon before the main feature, so that was always fun. And we'd have Christmas parties for like a thousand kids every year, so that was a fun time too. And then when I got older, I fell in love a couple of times at the theater, so that was fun. It was always a uh, a hangout. No matter what the movie the- movie was showing, we'd have the same crowd every Sunday. They'd show up at 2, and they wouldn't leave until about 9. And many times they'd see the movie or not see the movie, but it was a hangout every Sunday. Beale says the films were in Spanish, all Mexican cinema. She remembers the typical weekend tradition of a concert on Friday, La Fiesta nightclub on Saturday, then spending the day at the holiday on Sunday, and La Bamba Sunday night. And it was the same group of kids that would go to these places every single weekend. She worked in the theater until it closed in 1989. It was sad when we closed, but all of the Mexican movies were going straight to VHS. So when we would have 2,000 people on a Sunday, it went down to maybe 200 people on a Sunday. So there was no choice. Now the Holiday Theater is getting a new lease on life and keeping the spirit of a community hub. The Denver Cultural Property Trust bought the theater in 2021. The trust states that it will work to make sure each project is a continuation of the community's history, culture, and unique character. The Museum of Contemporary Art, MCA Denver, has a seven-year lease on the building and is using the Holiday Theater for artist talks, film screenings, and performances. Sarah Merrill, MCA's deputy director, says the group has a particular vision for the building. The space itself offers a really unique kind of multi-leveled opportunity in that there's the theater, there's the performance space, of which MCA is the programming partner, and then there's the the secondary retail space as well as the uh, residential units above that offer an even additional benefit to be able to convert those studio spaces into live workspaces, to um, create a charter that as those units become available, that they're being first offered to artists and cultural workers in the city and really 
have the entire campus, if you will, of the Holiday Theater become an art center and um, not just the theater itself. MCA's Director of Programming, Sarah Kate Bai, says the theater is the answer to so many of the kinds of programs that they've dreamt about, but never had a dedicated place to produce. This ranges from when we work with a contemporary artist whose practice is more than just wall-based, so they have a part of their practice that's Mm performance-based. And so many artists working today are just multi-talented. Their work goes out in many different directions, and having a space where we can showcase those portions of their work is just a huge gift for a contemporary art facility. So we think of it as our home for music, lecture, film, performance, events, and beyond. One of those programs is Cinema Azteca, a Spanish-language film series held on Tuesday nights. Bai says that is how the theater pays tribute to both the theater's life as Denver's first Spanish-language movie house and builds on the rich traditions of Mexican and Latin American cinema. Cinema Azteca launched March 21st with Out of This World, featuring three months of films selected by Eduardo Sarabia and Lorena Peña Brito. But the space is not just for films. It also opens its doors to artists to showcase their own work. Again, Sarah Merrow. I think we have a really flexible approach to how we want to make the space available as a resource to those within the artist community, within the neighboring community as well. And one available option is to be able to rent that space at a very low cost and potentially for free, depending on if the nonprofit status of the entity, etc. For Carmen Victoria Beale, the preservation of her neighborhood and its culture means a lot a way for new Denverites to stay connected to the North Side's past, to its history, and to write a new future that includes them and parts of their past. Um, I'm glad it's being preserved as a theater. That was my whole, my whole life, my parents' life, but I, I love that this is happening. I'm Eden Lane, CPR News. Thanks for joining us today. Yay Nuggets! And to our home team here at Colorado Matters. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Tom House. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. You're with CPR News and KRCC.